Welcome to another episode of Adulting with Wine. I'm your host, Sasha, and we're back for another episode. So I have two um, completely brand new guests to this podcast. I have G with me. How are you, G? I'm pretty amazing. Thanks for having me. Great. And I also have M. Hi. Hello. Hey. So first, I have to ask you guys, how are you guys doing during this pandemic? Um, how are you guys doing mentally, you know, sorting this, this new world out? Um, I think it was the hardest probably in the first month or so. I'm sort of a mixture between introvert and extrovert. So when I commute and I get to be around my coworkers, I'm usually fine not seeing people during the week, like friends and stuff. But then working completely by myself when I'm not usually a freelancer uh, is kind of a little bit, it's a little taken a toll at first, but now I've gotten into the groove of things. I think I'm actually a lot better about it, but it is kind of crazy. I mean, I'm pretty lucky. I've kept my job throughout the pandemic. I feel like had I not, it would have been a lot worse. Although I've had other things happen because of it. For instance, my roommate lost her job and then had to uh, talk to our management company about breaking her lease and I was just subletting from her so technically I guess because of the pandemic I became homeless but um, I'm just staying with friends and then I'm gonna go move with my mom for a little bit so I still feel pretty lucky in general I guess. (laughs) Right wow that's kind of crazy I never thought about that so even though she she was subletting she still decided to break the lease? Uh, Well, I was subletting from her. She was the leaseholder. And then uh, I was just kind of basically paying her rent for an extra bedroom I was using. But then uh, she decided to basically use her quote unquote job loss during the pandemic as a reason to go back to school, which is totally understandable. Like why spend money on an apartment when you don't have a job in the city? So, um, you know, in a weird way, I, I guess I'm looking at it in the sense of at least I've still got my job and I can go live with my mother. I'm very lucky. So I can kind of even save some money during this, even though it breaks my heart to leave New York City for a little bit. But, you know, grand scheme of things, I think I'm doing okay, which I think, unfortunately, comparison has been a big source of perspective lately, is just comparing myself and being like, I think I'm okay, comparatively, to everything else going on. So. Yeah, I definitely feel that. What about you, G? Um, I'm actually, I think during the pandemic, the pandemic has been excellent for me, because I'm you know, day to day, I'm an introvert. So I do a lot of editing, freelance editing, freelance work from home, and I'm always by myself. So um, if anything, me having to be around people now has been kind of driving me nuts because I'm not used to answering questions or like, you know, having to to talk to anyone. Um, And so I'm in that position now because I came down from Carolina to uh, to basically stay with my folks because, you know, I live in a loft and there's about 400 people in that loft versus like three people in the home that I'm in now. So mm-hmm. just wanted to kind of be safe and not be exposed to everyone else's, you know, sickness and their pets and all that stuff. So it's been pretty great. There's been a lot of personal growth and development. Um, and yeah, it's forced me to to be able to deal with, you know, answering questions and dealing with people day to day. So it's been pretty beneficial for me, I think. Wow, you guys are like on two completely opposite ends of the spectrum <laughs> as far as like interaction with people. But I, I, for me, it's been like sort of 
up and down. Um, like at first, like when my job announced, cause I, I still don't luckily have my, my job, um, my job announcing that like we will be working from home. I was very excited because, um, I, it's not that I don't like going to the office, but sometimes it's like the hustle and bustle of getting dressed, getting there, getting on the train, all of the other stuff that I rather avoid. Um, but it seems like every so often I'll get into like a rut where it's just kind of like, what am I even doing anymore? It's kind of like I'm on a time lapse and I don't know how to stop it. Um, because I don't go anywhere. I don't see any people. There was like a couple weeks, like, because I just, I'm just inside. Like, I felt like I was getting like lighter and I'm black. So it was just like, I was like, why am I pale? What's going on? (laughs) So it's been hard. And, you know, especially recently with everything in the news, it's been especially hard. Um, But what I will say is something that I learned is that um, I didn't know how much my train rides were essential to my day to day and like helped me feel somewhat sane, even though I don't enjoy them. So I don't know, maybe when I get back to writing the MTA, I actually appreciate it. Who knows? Take those words lightly. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. I had somebody in my co-working uh, like chat, she talked about how it felt like she had no separation from work and life because of the fact that she had no longer had a commute. She was like, the five steps I take from my bedroom to my desk isn't enough to tell me I'm not working anymore which I totally agree. Like, cause I, I literally have had people be like, Oh my God, thank you so much for grabbing this. And I'm like, what else am I going to do at seven 30? Like there's nothing else in my life right now, other than zoom calls and family meetings and, and making sure my grandparents are practicing social distancing. Like what else do you have on my plate? So in a weird way, like work has made it so that I have something to do, which it feels like no longer work. It's like part work part. Thank God I have something to mark my day with like you were saying so yeah but it's also like I don't know like they keep telling us to like you know use your days off blah 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 blah. but it's just like Mm -hmm. it doesn't even feel like a day off (laughs) no exactly well that's why I'm partially like I was kind of okay with the fact that I originally was going to try to stay in the city after my uh, roommate lost our apartment because I was thinking well the quarantine can't possibly last the whole summer and then people started saying it was going to be till like August or September until we were even going to go back into our office for my current uh, place of work. And then I was like, well, that sucks. And then I had that apartment fall through on a totally separate thing. And then I was like, you know what? I don't want to mess with COVID anymore in New York City. I'm good. And so I'm actually kind of excited to go and visit my mom because at least that's a new place and I can take some days off and actually just go outside and enjoy like where I'm going to be at. So that'll be nice. Does she have a yard? Uh, she does. She lives out in California. So she wow. is, I'm going to be going to a hundred degree summer weather and I can't be more excited, honestly. <laughs> I don't even know why. I know, right? Like, why do I want to get burned by the sun? Because at least it's something different. <laughs> <That's basically laughs> but at least you'll be able right to now. have fresh air without like having a mask on. That's what <laughs> Oh my God, to. right? Well, like, like the whole thing was I was staying away from my mom. I could have gone out to her like months ago and now I kind of wish I had because I was staying away from her because she lives in a community with a lot of people who are over 60. So I thought I was doing the responsible thing by staying away. But now she's telling me California is opening up even before New York City. So like even with me moving there, I'm probably still gonna be quarantined for 14 days before I even go out to grocery stores or anything. But still, I feel like guilty coming out to visit her. But like I have no other choice, (laughs) you know, like 
So it's kind of weird, but I'm happy and sad about it, but you know, common occurrence, I'm sure today. <laughs> yeah, it should be fine overall. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I wanted to bring us together um, just because with all the pandemic drama, um, I'm sure like a lot of people have been like talking about their mental health online and how it's important and you'll see people discussing like self-care, self-care, self-care and blah, 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 blah. And mm -hmm. for, for me in particular, um, there's a lot of writing and things going on um, in the Black community around um, a lot of um, just crazy things, crazy dumb things that um, it just doesn't seem fair. I, I don't even know how to word it in my, in my, to make it seem like, I don't even know what to say. Like, as you can see, I'm struggling over the words, but I just wanted to discuss um, how we handle our mental health in the form of therapy. And um, I wanted to talk with people who've actually been to therapy and you both have to see how that's helped your journey and what's that done for both of you. So um, first I want to ask, like, do you guys mind like sharing your therapy story, like why you went, how you sought out a therapist, or if you want me to go first, I'm glad to also go first as well. Um, I can go. Sure, go for it, G. All right, so um, first and foremost, I'm a black man. So, you know, our whole lives, we're, we're basically told that we have to shoulder everything. We can't cry. You know, that's the sign of weakness. And it's in our, in our environment day to day, we can't really show any sign of weakness. So um, we have a lot of, we just have a lot of anxiety overall. There's a lot of PTSD. There's just a lot of mental issues in the black, in the black community as a black man as a whole. You know, you look on social media, you see all these traumatizing things almost every day. And it's just, it's just a lot. So um, myself, personally, I started having like actual physical reactions to like all of the stress I was holding in. And, um, you know, I was talking, I was talking to some people and um, we're talking about therapy. Actually, one of my friends, he's an ex-military guy. He was talking about therapy and how it was beneficial for him. And um, I decided to talk to a therapist. And it wasn't what I thought. You know, I was reluctant at first. So I was like, oh, I don't need therapy. Like, I got this, you know. And um, I took a chance. I talked to her one time. And I was able to, like, release all of the stress, all of the pressure that I had been feeling. I was able to talk to her, you know, very candidly, very open. I didn't feel like there was any judgment. And then from that, and I stopped feeling that physical. It almost felt like I was going to have a heart attack. Like, that's how I felt. And unpacked years and years with the trauma and just all. So first. Um, stop taking on so much and it just it completely changed my life so um i've been to therapy not that many times probably three times but within those three times i probably like reversed years worth of damage and the things that i learned 
from those sessions. Like I use them, I won't say daily, but like I try to utilize them whenever I'm, I'm conscious of you know what's going on. So, okay. Yeah. So you said you've been to therapy, you've had three sessions. So, yeah. right, is that correct? So in those three sessions, what what kind of tools or coping methods did she give you to sort of unpack your anxiety? Or I think what you described is sort of like almost like a panic attack in a sense. So what did she, what kind of coping methods did she um, instill or talk to you about? Or was it just the comfort of being around another person that kind of helped? So the, the she didn't really give me any tools, I don't think, but I think it was the comfort. And honestly, she gave me a tool. Now that I think about it, she gave me a tool without like explaining to me that this was a tool. So what she did was just basically let me talk and let me figure out all of my problems and all of the things that were causing me anxiety on my own. And so with that, like I just had to dig deep within. I had to stop, take a minute. Um, I had to stop putting expectations on other people because those are things that I can't control. And once I stopped doing that, you know, that was my tool to dig deeper in self and be able to like realize when a panic attack was going to happen. Um, not necessarily calling the panic attack, but like that reaction, I knew how to identify it before it happened and reverse, you know, my, I guess my, my thought process on whatever the, um, the situation was. Right. So how do you use that actively now? Um, I just decompress a lot. I take time to myself. I say no to a lot of things, you know, um, and I do realize the importance of just taking a minute or two, you know, throughout the day, daily, and just connect with myself and understand what's going on with me, how I feel, and be able to just be open with myself and other people if I need to communicate something. Right. Yeah. That sounds cool. It sounds like you learned a lot about um, yourself through this and, and being able to self-talk you out of um, basically anxiety. Um, that's a, a very similar to um, sort of my situation, except like I'm still currently in therapy. Um, but yeah. Um, and would you like to chime in here and talk about your experience? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess first off, I'll start off with that. A lot of my experience is more tied to my upbringing than necessarily things like my identity. Although I will say sometimes being a woman, I, I face similar stuff like being in New York City lately. I've had multiple instances where I've had to defend my friends from drunk guys trying to grab people or other things, which has definitely made me a little bit more on guard than I used to be. But um, I would say uh, I've been really lucky though. I mean, um, despite I'm Hispanic, um, Honduran specifically, and um, my mom uh, is mixed. So like basically like a white Hispanic family. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, ethnically ambiguous or white or whatever, which is like, I guess a privilege in and of itself. But a lot of times um, I've noticed in the Hispanic community, at least with my friends and other people I've met in college, they don't have as much access to mental health services. It's a lot more frowned upon. Why aren't you strong enough to deal with this yourself? You must not have enough family support. That's sort of the general consensus sometimes. And uh, I've been lucky because uh, my aunt is a full-fledged psychologist. So it's been sort of a kind of okay thing in my family because my aunt is a psychologist. She constantly talks about 
mental health. She talks about taboo subjects. She did her thesis on like male postpartum depression. And so it's a huge thing in my family to be very cognizant. I will say even with that, I notice a lot of my other family members, despite saying that they probably should seek out mental health services, say that it's too late for them which makes me sad because then they're like, oh, you should get it though, because you're young and you can still like reek some benefits from, from it, which I disagree with because I think we could all have benefits from mental health at any age. But, you know, I guess I am lucky more than others that I was encouraged at least, if not a little bit bullied. And I'll explain why. So uh, basically uh, when I was 23, so this would have been the summer of 2018, uh, my father, after years and years of alcohol abuse, and about five years or six years after my mother had divorced him, uh, he took a shotgun and went into the backyard of a girlfriend and killed himself. And I got the call about it from my grandfather when I was on the train coming back from a job. So I have a lot, obviously, from years and years of watching him spiral of years watching my mother try to help him and then give up and then basically try to help him after the divorce and then give up again, which that was self-protection. A lot of us had to distance ourselves from it. Um, there was family stuff with him getting arrested because of a brawl with another family member. So it was a big old mess. And uh, even the way I was told and then the subsequent having to go arrange his funeral, having to deal with all the family members and all their grief, it was, just got a little bit too much, especially since I felt like I was still just figuring out myself, having a new job in New York City, being away from my family for the first time in ever, and obviously losing a parent. So I started talking to my mom about it. She was like, I really think you need to get therapy. I think this is too much for you to handle on your own. And I said, well, I can't talk about it right now because then I would have to think about it. And if I think about it, I will lose myself and the grief. So a lot of my initial getting through it and being able to still be good at a job I'd only gotten three weeks earlier was compartmentalizing. I literally got the call on Friday and then went to work on Monday. And that was something that I look back and I'm like, why did I do that? That was ridiculous. Like I should have, I remember I had to tell my manager about it because I was like, look, if I cry, I'm not going to do it during a client meeting. I'm not going to do it in front of people. But if I just, if you see me leave to go to a bathroom, I just need you to know what's happening. And he was like, are you sure you don't need to leave? Like we have grief counseling. We have everything, blah, blah, blah. I was so supportive and I was really lucky, but I was just like, no, I need to be here. I need to have something to do. And he was like, okay. So uh, basically after the final funeral, um, I started looking into group counseling specifically because I didn't want to have to talk to one person without feeling like I was not the only one going through this. And because of my current, because of my specific situation of being a like relative of somebody who had committed suicide, there was actually a lot of support groups for people like that. It's a very like niche thing, but there's definitely services out there. So, um, and for me at this time, I wanted to go through the therapy of dealing with the grief, not necessarily dealing with everything that led up to what happened. But of course, therapy is about more than just what you go in for it. So uh, basically, I uh, found this really great place called NAMI in New York City, which is the National Alliances of Mental Illness. And um, they had a flyer that I was able to just find through Google. I just Googling suicide like support groups or suicide like survivor relatives, blah, blah, blah. Like Google is still the best tool for finding stuff usually. <laughs> so I uh, Googled it, found their thing, found out they had a 10 week program, 
which basically meant you and 12 other people who are all dealing with the same thing, uh, got together every, once a week for about three hours <laughs> and uh, you just talked through your grief. And I really liked the idea of having an end goal because part of the fear about therapy was that it would be a never ending thing. And uh, also it was free, which at the time I wasn't making that much money and I didn't really want to invest in something that I wasn't even sure I wanted. So it was, a, it was kind of a mixture of a way to get my, to dip my toe into therapy without having to commit a lot to it. And it was a way to sort of assure my family that I was doing everything I could for myself. And it was an amazing program. Like the first couple of weeks were probably the worst ever because I couldn't talk about it without sobbing. I just couldn't, it was hard, um, but it got a lot easier over the weeks and about four weeks in, I could notice that all of us were talking about our stuff without having to be so emotional about it, which was actually really nice because it felt like we were all connecting on a different level than just we were, we were sad. It was like we were connecting about the other feelings that came with it, which was surprising feelings. Like, I hate to say it sometimes, but relief, because I was surprised to find that a lot of the other suicide, uh, a lot of the other relatives of people who had committed suicide, they weren't people who necessarily didn't know that the person who'd committed suicide was in that state of mind. It's just that none of us could save them. Like, none of us could stop them. We, we thought they were self-destructive. We thought they were down a road. We didn't necessarily know they wanted to kill themselves, but it was like a bunch of people going through similar things, like people who had had family who had addiction, people who were just like constantly trying to deal with their partner's depression. And I was just so relieved that I was dealing with other people who hadn't just gone through the trauma of the death, but the trauma of everything that led up to it, which was so nice because it's not something very much talked about in the media. When you talk about suicide, it's always like, you know, the parents of some teenager who they never suspected, it was never a thought in their mind, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they don't talk about the people who are constantly worrying about that happening with their parent or their loved one. And then one day it finally does and you're still shocked. And so it was really nice that every single person in that room was going through something that I felt like I had never seen somebody go through until I went through it. So it was just lovely. I mean, I couldn't talk about it more. And everyone I tell it about, I'm like, if you're not sure about therapy and you went through something specifically, you know, if you think there's a niche out there, you think you need to connect with people who know what you're talking about. I think group therapy is the way to do it personally. I love right. it. If you don't mind me asking, like how, how long ago was this? Uh, the suicide or the group therapy? Both. Uh, the suicide happened in the summer of 2018, um, and then the group therapy, I actually had to wait a while because since it was a 10-week program and I only found out about it once they were in the inaugural class, I had to wait till they had the second class starting. So mm -hmm. I probably didn't actually start the group therapy until March of the following year. Mm -hmm. So it was probably a good six or seven months since the first thing had happened, uh, which was actually not that long. Uh, considering some other people had only been like it was a range some people it had happened to them like two years previous and they were only just now seeking help and there was other people um, that it had happened a month prior and it what it was really kind of crazy was that um, not everybody made it through the entire program we lost uh, people as in not like they dropped out a couple of months in uh, because or a couple of weeks in because it was still too fresh which uh, was kind of heartbreaking in two ways because it was heartbreaking that obviously they were in, still in so much pain and it was too bad that they couldn't reach the 
part that we all got to reach, which was a semblance of bonding and feeling out our emotions and getting through it. Um, but it was also heartbreaking because, you know, you bonded with these people almost immediately through talking about your grief. And then they disappeared, which obviously for all of us who had just gone through another kind of abandonment was a little bit hard. So we actually even had to talk about that through the therapist, which we had two therapists in our group therapy, which was really nice because anytime one of us started spiraling, there was a person there who was not necessarily trying to rein us in, but more like similar to what G was saying about giving us good coping mechanisms. Like for instance, she constantly would remind us um, that if we're talking about our own reactions and our own emotions, we should use the word I instead of using the royal you. So like we weren't assigning emotions to people that weren't their own. Like we shouldn't assume what people are going through is this is how they're reacting because people mm -hmm. would talk about their own experiences. Like, you know, you wake up one morning and you feel like this and blah, blah, blah. And they're trying to like describe a situation and our therapist was go like, nope, you need to use I because you need to own your own feelings and recognize that yours are yours. And that was, I'm probably paraphrasing horribly, but it was basically that. And I actually really liked that because I did not like, I didn't like people assuming that all of the emotions I had around the death was this one thing. When in reality, there was multiple layers to everything I felt about it. So, you know. Um. I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned before. You mentioned having like a, having an end goal to, to therapy. And mm -hmm. what what does that what did that look like for you? Because I, yeah. I can't imagine that you ultimately <laughs> just get over it. Like that's No, not... <laughs> no, of course not. Um I would say that what I liked about the 10 weeks, which obviously the whole quote unquote end goal thing was a little bit me telling myself, okay, well, at least if I hate this, I, can, I just have 10 weeks of it and then I'm done. And then I can figure out if I like something different. Mm -hmm. um, I think the main idea was that I'm, I'm a very big like checklist person. I like to, I'm very analytical. I'm very compartmentalizing. I take that after my mother a lot. Um, and so for me, I liked the idea of having goals, of having short-term things. Because if I just thought about therapy as this big abstract thing, it felt overwhelming versus I have a session this week, I have a session next week. This is what I want to talk about this week. This is what I plan to talk about next week. And then of course you get into the session and you're like, what am I talking about? I'm going to talk about everything I ever want to talk about. So um, I think at the end of it, I don't know, it was, it was absolutely the best and weirdest thing because I never assumed that by week eight, I would feel 60% better than I had in week two. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. I just, there was a moment where I realized that I had not only become more settled in how I felt about it because other people would be blatantly describing their own emotions about things. And I would realize with a start that that's exactly how I had felt. And it's such a cliche of saying like, oh, I thought I was the only one who thought this. But with something right. as taboo as suicide, especially with suicide of somebody you did truly love, but in that love, there was a lot of complicated other emotions like disappointment and absolute frustration and, and dislike at times. So you have this feeling of like, well, I can't say that I'm upset that they killed themselves because like, I know they were in pain, but I am upset that I'm also relieved that they're not in pain anymore, but I'm upset that they couldn't pull themselves out of it. And why were they so weak? Oh, wait, that's not okay for me to say they're weak, blah, blah, blah. But then you hear somebody else whose daughter, for instance, like committed suicide. And he's saying like, I'm so absolutely heartbroken that she did this, but also I can't not admit that I'm a little bit relieved to finally have like the worst has happened 
and I can't stop it and I never could. And that's a little bit relieving. And you just think to yourself, like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard, but it's also exactly how I feel. And I can't, and I can't stop feeling like that. And that's partially what therapy taught me is that your emotions aren't evil and feeling them doesn't make you a bad person. And you went through something traumatic. So why wouldn't your emotions feel dramatic? So I think that was it. It was just so good. And that by week 10, I don't know, it was kind of weird. It was very heartbreaking to know I would probably never see these people again, even though a couple of them, we did give each other phone numbers just on the weird idea that somehow we would stay in touch, which we really didn't, which I kind of expected we wouldn't, but um, it was weird. You meet 10 strangers and you sit down and by the end of 10 weeks, they know you better than some of the people you've spent years with. Right. And that is really I weird. imagine that's really <laughs> weird. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, because it's not like your coworkers who you spend every waking day with, they don't know about your father's alcoholism. Right. Right. You I know, can imagine just, how that's super different. Great. Yeah. I mean, sorry. Gee, did you want to chime in there? Um. No, I think that was very well put. Um, it was an eye opener for me because I never, I never had an end goal. You know, I just felt like uh, therapy would be like a lifelong thing for me. It's like, uh, you know, whenever I feel that I need to absolutely talk to someone that's not going to judge me and that's not really going to offer me advice, but help me to solve the problem myself, then, you know, I just call and I feel like I can just do that forever. So I thought that was interesting, um, you know, that he had an, an end goal with the therapy. Right. Yeah. Well, I think for her, it was, it was for, um, I, I don't mean mm -hmm. to for you in this no, case, it's fine. but with group therapy, I think, especially it being a, a enclosed time frame, and, and my therapist, she explained this to me as well, like, um, you can have an angle. There's always an angle for therapy, I feel like, even though, even if you don't set one, for my therapist in particular, like when I started therapy, I had to fill out a sheet and really explain what is my angle for therapy. But mm -hmm. she said she works with you in two different ways. Like for some people, you know, therapy is expensive and their insurance does not cover therapy. So she does have a short form, which is probably similar to what M, M went through and right. sort of, um, getting to your end goal faster and there is pushing the the person that you are that that is a client or receiving therapy but yeah on the long term end um you probably don't even notice like you're having breakthroughs because it's kind of mm -hmm. you're you're kind of moving at your own pace is right. that can you agree Definitely. with that Emily? yeah no i mean i would also say like i tried to i probably could put it another way but basically I lied to myself when I started group therapy. And to be honest, I'm going to say for the record, for those who don't like therapy, quote unquote, don't like therapy, don't know what it is, or don't have good experiences with it, because I've had friends who struggle with mental illness in the past have bad therapy experiences. I personally think the best thing you can do for yourself as far as trying to get yourself into therapy is to lie to yourself about it in the first place. Like for me, it was about telling myself, oh, this is just going to be for 10 weeks. And then eventually coming to the realization that, oh, wait, I actually like therapy a lot more than I thought I would. I was wrong about it. I'm now changing my mind. I'm more open to therapy than I ever was. Now, I have not back, been back to therapy since those 10 weeks are over, partially because I felt so good after the initial therapy that I just didn't feel a need to. Like It was like almost writing a new prescription or a new like 
you know, getting off of a bad leg, like you just feel so good after not having that pain on you all the time that you feel like you can last any day. But then eventually, of course, everything starts feeling a little bit worse. And maybe that's because you stopped going to therapy. So for me, I definitely have this thought in my head of like, well, I've dealt a little bit with some of the trauma from the death, but I have not dealt with all the stuff that came before it and the stuff that has come after it. So it's very foolish of me to think that I will go through my life leaning on the 10 weeks of therapy I got as a 23 year old. So my plan, once the pandemic is over, because <laughs> I don't really want to do a virtual therapist. Um, I know that it's a great resource for some people, but especially if this would be my first time doing a one-on-one -on -one session, I'd like to be in person, similar to how my group therapy was. Um, I'm definitely, I'm more open to therapy than I've ever been. And I don't think I would have gotten here as fast had I not gone to um, group in the first place. So I think it was a great way of getting me out of my comfort zone in a way that still felt comfortable. So I definitely plan on going back to therapy someday. Right. That sounds amazing. Emma, mm -hmm. I just, I, I don't know if I could go after that. <laughs> no, no, please do. All of our experiences are valid. I learned that in group. Trust me. <laughs> um, but for me, um, my experience was, uh, very different in the sense that um i i feel like the reason i decided to sort of you know look out the seek out therapy is because i was going through what was like a, a major life change so you know um i had went from being single for almost two years um to being in like a relationship and then i'd also moved out on my own for the first time and and um I had moved in with what I thought was my best friend and I thought everything should have been fine but I just didn't feel right and um I'm a at the time I would say like I was a person who um I can say I was very people pleasing like I try not to let a lot of things get underneath my skin. And I felt like more, I felt like I, maybe I felt like at the time, like I, things weren't getting to me, but I feel like they were, but I just was masking them. Um, and I didn't know that I was masking um, the way I felt about things until it started to like all just close in on me. Um, so, maybe like about the first month that I moved into my new place um, with the person I thought was my best friend, it's, I was just sleeping every, like every chance I got. If I was not at work, if whatever I was doing, I was just sleeping. If I was in the house, I was probably sleeping. And at the time I thought, you know, maybe I'm just exhausted and, and maybe like, cause living with my, with, with my mom, I, I shared a room with my brother. So, you know, um, my brother being probably what in his teenage, he's, he's 18 now. So he was still a teenager then, you know, he was up all night all the time. So I probably, I thought that I was not getting enough sleep or maybe I was just tired, but I think that was just my way of coping with everything going on and trying to avoid it. And I recognize that now because that's similar to the way I feel 
when I do get into sort of a depressed state or mode. Um, and also like dealing with, uh, you know, being the token black person network, um, at the time, like I was in my second full, like corporate role, you can say. And, um, it was very, I, I wouldn't say that I haven't experienced racism or at, at the job before, but it was just very weird to be in a place where, you know, people just are so oblivious to the things that they can ask you, um, such as like asking me who, a person who, um, you know, I'm, I'm 21, 22 at the time, um, you know, do I have kids? Did I have, did I graduate with a degree? You know, that, that type of thing. It was, it was kind of like, wow, people have no idea, like, what they're saying and, and what that sort of translate to or, or means. Um, but I kind of think I, I, I stuck it through for like about a month or two of feeling that way. And then like, I started to, you know, research therapists because I was just like, I, I need to talk to someone about this. And I didn't feel like my mother was the person because um, in general, it's just like the conversation is always, well, you shouldn't feel like that or people are going to do what they want to do. And, and I just felt like that was not the conversation I needed to have. So I started researching therapists and um, thankfully my mother does um, have an insurance that I'm still covered under that does cover therapy. So um, the job was then like finding a therapist who takes my insurance and is also available. So that was a task within itself for once I did. Um, and it was crazy because initially I emailed my current therapist and because I didn't want to call her. <laughs> And I was just so nervous to talk about everything. And she didn't respond to my initial email. So about like two weeks later, I, I called her because I was, she was like literally the only therapist available that could, was taking on new clients and also um, took my insurance. So, you know, I gave her a call and I explained to her everything. And then um, I went to see her. And literally, my first session, I like literally broke down because it was just like all of these things that I felt that I could never express was sort of now I can just release them because I felt like I would be getting emotional about it now, but I felt like even if I never see this person again, I never have to talk about it with her again if I don't want to. So it was very easy for me to be forthcoming with everything. Um, and I knew that I wouldn't be judged. Um, so that was sort of like the beginning of my experience. Um, because uh, I, I think talk about the person who I thought was my best friend, but I was also going to a toxic situation with that person as well. So that became a whole thing. But um, to this day, I still see the same therapist and it's kind of working through the same 
issues because, you know, I'm a person who does suffer through anxiety as well. So it was very uh, troubling and it even going through like today's world and things that have happened throughout the last week or even years, um, it's still uh, something triggering to talk about, especially as a person who does work in corporate America as a Black person or a, especially a Black woman. So yeah. um, it's a lot of unpacking that. Go ahead. What were you going to say, G? Oh, no, I was just saying, yeah, like I understand the the corporate, you know, the corporate world aspect. Like I, I know the things that they do and just like the little snide remarks people make, like I've seen it and heard it. Right. Yeah, I would say even with my experiences, which are nowhere near, of course, the microaggressions I can only imagine y'all go through and that I've actually have slightly seen, like I was once asked by an HR person just out of the blue if one of my black coworkers had seemed aggressive lately because apparently there had been, which to this day, I still don't know exactly what happened because <laughs> it was not my place to ask him, uh, obviously, but apparently him and another coworker, I think it was like his manager had like this just fight, which if I had heard correctly from somebody else, it was the manager who had yelled at him and not the other way around. And I guess the manager filed a complaint or was covering his ass or who knows what. But mm -hmm. I told them that I had witnessed nothing of the sort and that it surprised me that somebody had said that, considering that I knew this person was actually like super cool and very jokey and like I've never seen him angry over anything. So I said I just didn't agree with whoever made that observation, but that was their opinion. Um, and then I found out later that manager was moved to a different team. So at least that was good. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, I was once, uh, and this was actually, I sometimes, I sometimes joke, which I have a dark sense of humor, but I joke about having the best worst luck. So for instance, my first couple of, uh, my first six months out of college, I had probably the most, the worst job I'd ever had in my life where I was constantly berated for not being good at my job for like slowing things down. I was given no training for what should have been a training level position. And uh, at one point they, and like I said, I was Hispanic. At one point, um, the white creative director asked me to do an ad campaign for Cinco de Mayo thing that was supposed to be the product was a Colombian coffee. And I made the point that many people who would be part of the brand don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo because Cinco de Mayo is a Mexican holiday. It's a Colombian coffee brand that is then in New York City and I'm Honduran. So I was like, I feel like I have a little bit something to offer here. And I kept offering like, maybe we should do about something like, you know, the, caf the cafecito thing that has in Miami where, you know, mm -hmm. you drink it off on the porch and, you know, you do it after dinner and it's this big family moment instead of making it just a random thing with Cinco de Mayo. Like add a right. little personality, a little culture in there because nobody in my family celebrates Cinco de Mayo. Like not even my white side because it's just like, who the fuck cares? Like it's a drinking holiday. That's how we right. all see it. Like, I, that's yeah, what I was about like, to say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even even my friends who are Mexican, they're like, yeah, I just use it as an excuse to go get free marks. Like, nobody, like, is actually celebrating it the way that, like, you know. So I just thought it was a really cheap shot. And I didn't consider it at first, like, it was an ethnically insensitive thing. It felt more of just, like, an ignorant thing of, like, them not taking, not thinking through what should have been a much more thoughtful process. And I told them I was going to take my own time, not bill it to the client and try to write up some better stuff, try to like make some better art for it. And then my copywriter went around my back and actually did way more work than we were supposed to do uh, because she was so excited by this idea. 
And then she went to the creative director without me and tried to pitch everything. And I got yelled at because I was letting my quote unquote personal uh, opinions cloud a client ask. And then I, at that point decided, oh, okay, so I'm not going to work here anymore. And that's when I started looking for another job. And that's the job I had three weeks. I got it three weeks before my father committed suicide. So, and it was such a lovely job because, and I do believe this is in part because my manager was a man of color. He was Asian, uh, still is. He just doesn't work there anymore. (laughs) Um, But uh, he, uh, and he was just amazing. He was such a great person. He was so uh, dedicated to my training and my uh, advancement. I got promoted under him and I, I can't I can't imagine what going through the experience I went through would have been like had I still been at that old job. Like, I, I just right. can't. So in a weird way, the timing as terribly, there's no good time for your father to commit suicide, let's be honest. But the timing was better than had I been emotionally berated by my coworkers at every turn. So there was that. But yeah, no, corporate America is is sucky around and it's definitely not racially sensitive ever. <laughs> right, 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 right. I was gonna so question. This mm-hmm. is a sidebar. Um and but was was the client particularly asking for a, a single day bio commercial or is that what their pitch was gonna be? So the ask was um it was basically a media buy on a streaming uh, service that was going to be playing an ad during Cinco de Mayo and they were doing one of those one-off very cheap things where they just wanted a, a coupon code in there and a happy Cinco de Mayo, use this coupon code for a free coffee or something like that. And uh, that was the ask. But oftentimes in creative, we are given different options. Like, you know, we can give them what they ask for and then we can give them what we think they should do. And then they choose. And that's part of the process. But this right. agency I was at at the time was so absolutely burned out. It was so creatively unfulfilled and they were absolutely at the end of their rope in many departments that they were becoming sloppy and they were deciding to go with what the client asked instead of ever offering other options. And my little bit of trying to push the envelope, which they had quote unquote asked people to be more creative lately, uh, was met with backlash. And actually I forgot about this until just now, but the creative director also said that he knew more about Cinco de Mayo than me because he used to be a bartender. What? (laughs) Yes. This 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 bald fifty something white creative director so wait, decided. So was he a bartender thirty five years ago? That doesn't count. Exactly. Yeah, it apparently still counts because Lord knows me with all of my experience actually you know knowing Hispanic people and being Hispanic counted for nothing because Cinco de Mayo is an American holiday that has no color quote unquote. But like, okay, man, if that's true, then why are we connecting it to a Colombian brand? Like, why, you know, why don't we connect it to something completely different? Like, you know, like, it's just, I just, I couldn't. When my mom heard that, my mom literally, in my back of my head, which I think to God to this day for my mother, I don't know who I'd be without her, but literally in the back of, uh, um, on all the phone calls I did during that time, she was just like, quit, 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 quit. Like, she was chanting it. She was just like, get out of there, get out of there. They awful, get out. And so fortunately I found a job before I had to quit, but that was pretty bad. Yeah, it was not great. So wow. but I, I honestly think that was the first time, uh, because like I said, I have a lot of privilege as somebody who nobody knows what I am, uh, which means that I quote unquote pass under the radar for a lot of it. Um, but uh, that was the first time I think I'd ever 
think I'd ever been uh, truly kind of singled out for my quote unquote ethnicity at the time, like because it had basically, I'd been accused of using my ethnicity as a way to like try to get what I want when in reality I was trying to use it as a tool to give us a little bit more insight into a really badly written brief, which uh, I don't know if you guys ever work in things that have briefs and creative stuff like asks. I, I heard you do video editing, G, so maybe you have heard some really stupid client asks but one of uh, the brief was that the target was written as just multicultural millennials. Wow, that's, that's very broad. <laughs> Which like, you might as well just say not the white people, I guess, because I don't understand what multicultural millennials even means because why, okay. So you Cinco de Mayo is just, uh, you know, not the white people, but like you're putting it on one of the whitest streaming platforms then and like, what are you gonna expect? Like, yeah, okay. there's absolutely <laughs> like, no thought in ads. And you know what, Emma, <laughs> where are you mm -hmm. in these meetings where they are putting black children in monkey shirts? We need you there. Dude, I, I thank God that I have only ever been in one meeting where I, uh, it wasn't technically, I actually, same agency, but this was a different thing, not necessarily race related, but still very bigoted which was I was in a meeting once with a VP, and this is a woman who probably makes five times what I make, been in this business 40 years longer than I have. And she used the R word, uh, which I'm not gonna repeat on your podcast, because I'm sure your listeners are much too nice about it, but if people don't know what that means, it's a very derogatory term for autistic people and other things. Wow. Um, yeah, she used the R word to describe uh, just something that was going on. She just was like, oh, this is blank. And then she said why it was stupid when she should have just used the word stupid. Um, and I remember looking around the room and there was a shift because there was 15 people in this room and we were also on a conference call with another 15 people. So she had no problem using it in a group of people. And I remember thinking that you could see the different ages of people based on how they reacted. Mm. So it wasn't even just about like who was quote unquote sensitive. It was even just a generational shift because like anyone over 40 was just giggling. Anyone 40 to 30 was just like uh, kind of uncomfortable. Anyone under 30 was just trying to sink back into their chair and like nobody right. said anything. And I was like, oh, that's not okay. But I'm in the middle of a meeting with a million people. And like, it was one of those moments where, yeah, I kind of wish I had said something, but I was also at the point where I was just trying not to get fired before I got hired at my next place. So it yeah. was just sort of like, the culture was the last thing. That would have been a great way to get fired and blackballed. Yeah, exactly. So like, because I needed their good recommendation, but I can tell you, I named her in my exit interview and that is the only time I've ever done that. Yeah. I named her and I named the creative director and I walked out of that place and with no regrets. Yeah, I will say um, I can be, uh, I have been known to use the R word um, ignorantly, but I will say that I would have never used it or have never used it amongst mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what? Like, that's all yeah, I mean, especially at work. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, part of the culture is obviously learning. And I don't blame the woman for using something that she was obviously very ignorant around, but I do blame her using it, like you said, in a group of people. And also in a day and age where I think we've all kind of gotten more educated than we were when right. we were in sixth grade and most, you know, so um, I, I've always been a little bit sensitive about that, I guess, because I have friends and um, who have uh, autistic brothers and Down syndrome's cousins and stuff like that. So it's just not a thing that I ever want to bring into my vocabulary because I don't want to hurt my friends, obviously. So, you know, but it was really crazy. I couldn't believe she said it. Yeah. 
Um, I kind of want to um, piggyback on that, like um, something you said about like one of your coworkers um, being uh, labeled as aggressive, because that's mm-hmm. definitely something I've dealt with on multiple occasions um, mm-hmm. in the workplace. Um, and that's something that I struggle with still to this day, um, because it's sort of like most of the time when people say that I'm being aggressive, it's just that I'm not as open as they are. So it's a thing of like, they come to work and they tell everyone their business. And I'm kind of like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like, okay, well, she's not so friendly and this, that, and the third. And I can only imagine. And this last position that I was speaking of, the company um, that I was at when I started therapy, I don't work there anymore, thankfully. Um, you know, outside of people saying uh, very rude things to me, like I said, like asking me if I had children and all of this other stuff, inappropriate things that you should not ask someone who is on a job. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, to be to give them some credit, like this was a co-working space and these these people they they were members they were they were not working with me they were not my coworkers um so they could have just been curious to give them benefit of the doubt but i i still don't think it's appropriate to ask anyone even if if it was just someone in a co-working space but someone had even said to me at one point like oh um why did i think your name would be something more difficult to pronounce and i was just no that is absolutely there's no benefit of the doubt there that's just that's pretty blatant that was definitely that's not even micro that's major holy right and she said this with like out any regard like almost as if and this was this was a woman who had been emailing on multiple occasions about an office and then on top of that, my boss, who had owned the co-working space, it was a small co-working space, um, mm-hmm. right after that, because a lot of people would talk about me and say, you know, you know, um, I guess they would tell him, like, I'm not being nice to them or whatever. And the context of not being nice would be, like, me asking them to put their cup in the dishwasher. Um, wow. So I told, he, I had a conversation with me. He was like, you know, have you said anything to anybody? um that they might have taken mm-hmm. the wrong way um, and this is before he knew that I said that I was like honestly I feel like I handle people's reactions to me very well I was like this woman that I just had a tour with asked me why why she thought that my name would be difficult to pronounce and he was just like wow I'm so sorry that that happened to you and you would think like as someone who has power and control he's he's the boss he owns the place he would then said you know like I don't want this person to run the space here because she's clearly a racist. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of like, wow, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And that was the end. And I guess I should have known then that that was not going to be um, a great mm-hmm. working relationship going forward. Um, but I kind of stayed there a, a, another year. I was working there for like over two years, I think. So got to get the I money mean, any way you can. I understand. Right. So I think I, I kind of like oversaw a lot of that. But even in mm-hmm. this current role, um, there are a couple of people. And thankfully, I have like 
I think what's sort of helped me be able to manage um, microaggressions more is having community mm-hmm. of people at the same place who sees what I see. So I don't have mm-hmm. to be the only person kind of being like, is something the fuck wrong with me? <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I, so I, you know what, I hope this isn't uh, a little overstepping because obviously it's your podcast to ask us questions, but obviously um, not being a, an overt person of color myself, I'm curious how you feel that, because sometimes I, because like I said uh, previously from my mom, I'm very compartmentalized. I've actually been accused of being unfriendly myself because I'm not a warm and inviting person when you first meet me sometimes. And right. uh, I kind of warm up to people eventually. Like I've had multiple best friends like years later say, you know, at first I didn't think you liked me. And I was like, why would you think that? She's like, I don't know. You just didn't seem to like, you know, really want to get to know me and blah, blah. And I was like, well, I just met you. Why would I want to? <laughs> I think that's why I don't have many friends as well because I think people think yeah. that I, like they have this impression of people of of like you meet them and then they're like your best friend instantly well yeah and that just feels so fake to me I I've been very lucky that I have a small group of close friends but I have an even smaller group of best friends but all of those best friends are ride or die and I've never had a friend where I've wondered about their motivations because if I'm being honest, I get rid of toxic people before they have the chance to be that. Like I've fortunately never had that betrayal kind of feel, but um, with other people I've noticed like they just have these very shallow friendships, which totally works for them. Like friends can be whatever you want them to be. It's not my place to judge, but I wonder how you feel as a woman, um, even obviously living your life both as a black woman and as woman and just together too, how you feel sometimes that comes into play as we are expected to, just similar to how G was saying, men are expected um, to be strong and bear through it and things like that. Women are expected to be a little bit more emotional, strangely enough. And we're expected to be more in touch with things and be more generous with our time and our emotional labor. And do you ever notice the difference between if people are judging you between being a woman or being a black woman, or do you think they're just always together? Because I don't know, I'm just always curious how other people's experiences. I can feel that. My mom, uh, my mom almost, uh, I'm obviously, uh, not that the viewers will know, but um, I'm named a very female name, like nobody would guess that I'm a guy based on my uh, thing, but I have cousins who are women who were specifically named uh, boys names, uh, uh, like quote unquote gender neutral, but mostly boys facing names, um, because their parents wanted them to get through life without necessarily having people judge their emails, which I thought was kind Mm. of crazy to think about. But it is kind of a true. There's been articles about there about coworkers changing email addresses and finding different reactions from customers. So right. I don't know. Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, yeah. In our community, like we have, <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people name their kids whatever they want, but like mm-hmm. the majority of the time, you hear people in conversation like, you know, I want to name my kid something to where like if they read their resume, they're not going to get disqualified because her name's like you know, oh, I, a t-shirt I, I, yeah. or something like that. Oh no, I feel that. I was once in a meeting with my mom's college alumni uh, and uh, they were going around the room and it was the Hispanic women of the college she went to. And we were going around the room and everyone was na- uh, was doing their names. And I even noticed my mother who, when she married my dad, took on a whiter sounding last name. Um, she went back to her maiden name as a way to introduce herself. And then at the end, I had to say my full name, which my mom specifically named me pretty white. Like every single one of my names, none of my names are coming, come from my Hispanic side, which I talked to her about. And she just says, well, you know, I hated how many people mispronounced my name growing up and couldn't spell it. 
So obviously I didn't want that for you. And aren't you so much luckier? And I was like, well, yeah, except when there's 15 other girls who look nothing like me, who all have the same name as me, which is kind of <laughs> weird. Like in any room I walk into, yeah. which is fine, but sure. it's weird. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah. Um, but I wanted to answer your question. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sorry Please. that I got, I got cut off there. <laughs> no um, worries. But for me in particular, I, uh, I work with all women. So um, for, I, I can actually agree that like, I can concur that the, mm -hmm. where they're coming from is the fact that I, I'm black. Do I know that yep. they do it purposely? I don't know, but mm -hmm. it's only a few people. Um, in particular that I do this with. And I, I will say it's because, you know, these people, they tend to, I, I, what I, I do think they do this on purpose, which is like, they tend to undermine you and make you feel like you're stupid for talking about something um, that we're all talking about. And that's fine. But if they don't know something, it's just like, oh, well, I don't know. And all of these people are managers, but, I just don't like that whole pretend that we're dumb for um, whatever reason. But yeah, for me, it's just like, I got the thing where it's just like, oh, well, you don't use enough emojis and this, that, and that. And that was advice <laughs> given to me by my peers um, of how to sound more warm. I don't think they were intending to harm me, but I think mm. maybe there was some conversation about like, maybe Sasha isn't like as positive or as warm as we would like her to be, but I, I don't know. But yeah. that was just advice that they gave me. Like, you know, use more emojis and, and, mm -hmm. you know, use exclamation points on Slack and all of this other stuff. And it's just like, yeah. That's so fake, one. Two. No, it's super fake. <laughs> two, like, I, I feel like now I'm putting on a mask because now you, you feel more comfortable around me. And I, and I do think that a lot of uh, people who are racist um, in corporate America um, have a problem with uh, Black people who are not um, more open because and they mm -hmm. use that to say that they're more aggressive because we don't we don't make we don't attempt to make them more comfortable throughout our conversation or have that water cooler conversation and all of that. Like I'm not down for that. Like I come to see you from nine to five, and after that I'm going home. <laughs> like, and which is absolutely okay. And why I, is that not acceptable? I've always had the opinion of why do I need to be positive and warm in a professional environment? when I'm not always perceived positively and warmly and not, and it's okay to be civil and like friendly and like great, not toxic work environment, but like putting in so much of this emotional labor for something that is just like, because of sensitive people who can't stand the idea that I don't smile at them 24 seven. Right. Crazy. And it's crazy that it has to be like that, but when you're not the gatekeeper, it's kind of like you have to play. Oh, yeah. And maybe G can offer me our insight here mm -hmm. on, on being a black male in corporate America himself but um that's nope, I'm, I'm not in corporate anymore i work for myself okay well smart man that. <laughs> and i and i did also tell myself that um before i'm 30 like i don't want to be doing this no more <laughs> like, i i can't do this no more. 
I believe in you. Do it. Quick corporate America. <laughs> um, unfortunately, yeah, it starts with a step. You know, it starts with a step. I was there and um, I'm a person to where like I don't really like I like to, to give be given my space to work and knock out the project, whatever it is. So like when I have people trying to micromanage me and stand over my shoulder, I can't do it. And just one day I was like, I cannot do this. And it started with that one day. So, you know, it, there'll be tough months. There'll be months where you'll cry. There'll be months where you'll be like, wow, this is the most money I've ever made in my life. But, you know, it'll all balance out. But you just got to, like, start. Yeah. I, I am working on my own businesses, um, this included. So Obviously, uh, we're on the podcast right now. <laughs> so, um, Love to contribute. <laughs> there are other ideas that are coming up, and I am going to fully, fletchedly um follow but like I just I'm tired I'm tired of being tired like no I yeah. don't want to put an emoji leave me alone like leave me alone I just yes. want to not be bothered like and that's like the weird mm-hmm. thing that like me not wanting to be bothered comes off as I'm aggressive <laughs> oh yeah I uh, was once in a feedback about our presentation services and this was actually weirdly uh, on the other end, um, my partner, who is a male uh, copywriter, um, he uh, was given feedback that he doesn't come across as enthusiastic enough. And they used me, which I did not appreciate because I don't want to be compared to my partner and him compared to me because that's just not cool because we work together and we're trying to be camaraderie and that just pits us against each other. I don't like that. But anyway, they pointed to me as a positive example of somebody who has natural enthusiasm when talking over the phone and like, why, you know, look at Emily and like it obviously, and they looked at me and they're like, Emily, obviously you're very natural at this. And I stopped them and I said, oh, I'm not natural at all. And they're like, they took, they were taken aback by that. I was like, my mother is a banker and she speaks over the phone all the time. And she taught me how to do my fake conference voice. (laughs) And then I just slowly started smiling while I was talking and I really got pepped up. And I told them about all the great stuff I'd been faking this whole time. And they, laughed their butts off because they had no idea and I was like Um, I used to work in retail you guys think this is my first time doing a customer service voice right and why would they think that's natural everyone always tells you when you do because I'm a girl I swear (laughs) to god I think that's why I don't know I think it's often these every guy in that feedback room was very shocked by me but I that's my opinion obviously but uh I don't know genuinely a happy person but like Mm -hmm. um in general, like, I, I don't know, it's just like, I, I guess because I'm not like, as open, maybe that's why it's perceived that way, but, you know, mm-hmm. in general, um, was I, where was I going with this thought? <laughs> um, I feel like you're always told, like, when you talk to members, because I talk to members, like, you know, smile on the phone, you talk mm-hmm upbeat like you don't make it seem like it's a, a, mm-hmm. a problem for you to do xyz um but i don't know i guess well i think there'd be a big difference if my job was mostly doing that versus how it is now which is it's like 10 percent faking it and then 90 percent i'm just mostly working by myself and like talking to other people like i've been lucky like similar to ug i mean i feel like i've become a freelancer because working from home as a designer has been easy like I talk to everyone over, uh, you know, either call them or I just chat over my little like chat thing and I'm good. Like I'm, I'm fully okay being self-isolated work-wise. But if my job 24-7 was to talk to people on the phone, I would not be able to hack it. I, I wouldn't be able to keep it up because I'd be emotionally drained from it. So I don't think that it's in everybody's best interest to obviously fake it all the time because that's not sustaining. 
What about you, G? Do you ever uh, fake uh, smile when you talk to clients or, or do you ever have to talk over the phone and stuff? I always wonder what freelancers do with that. Um, I mean, I turn it, I turn it on, but like, I don't turn it on like as if I was working in corporate, turn it on. I say I give mm -hmm. it about the 20% because you still want to be like professional and give your, your clients like that experience, you know, that they're coming to mm -hmm. the right place to get the right product. So yeah, yeah, fair enough. It's, right. Yeah, it's like just like retail. You turn it on, you get the sale, and then mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Keep it moving. I feel like like that's something like I will continue to practice, like even having my own business, because I feel like in general, having a business is to provide a good experience. Like nobody wants to talk to someone who's stank. Like it's all about your energy and your vibe. Like so, mm -hmm. like just because you work for yourself doesn't mean that you get to just be however you want to be it's kind of like there's a balance would you agree with no, that definitely definitely yeah definitely not kind of like um if you saw friday the scene where Smokey and debo went in the window and debo told Smokey to shut up or something like that shut up for a minute and then he was like i still be talking when he but you can do it just like on mute or whatever <laughs> you can't really be like blatantly upset or blatantly aggressive with a client mm -hmm. right right, yeah. right and i i agree with that and there was there's been some businesses and small businesses that i'm just like girl why'd you say that to me <laughs> over, yeah. like, over instagram like even today like you know i do follow a couple of like you know women's clothing small business black owned brands and um a lot of them you know tend to have sold out items and i think somebody wrote in something to the effect of so let me backtrack a little bit. Like the item that she posted, she said it will be restocked on Friday. So the person wrote in on the comments and was just like, I don't know why I bothered to check. You're always sold out. And she wrote back to the person and said, I said it would be restocked on Friday. <laughs> and I was just yeah. like, you didn't <laughs> have her. To say that like that. <laughs> you I don't like, know. I like it. <laughs> Granted, people don't read, but you have to know people don't read. People don't give People do not read. Exactly. At all. It was just like, fuck it. Let her have that one. <laughs> but you have to you have to go into it knowing people don't read. You right. Know, you can't That's have true. any expectations for people. You have to expect to explain things that you've explained a million times, even in, in your profile, mm -hmm. if it has, even on your website, if it has all the details from A to Z. But yeah. I mean, what I, what I do is just refer people to, you know, my documentation. Like if you have any questions, hey, please refer to this. this has <laughs> per per my last email. Exactly. <laughs> Kill them with that. Some hate you for saying, for, for saying that. I got in trouble for saying <laughs> my emails. Why? <laughs> That's literally what it is. Look at my last email. There's no better because way of saying it. They don't want to read it. I remember like this with this Names. woman. She, her husband was a member of the co-working space because he was like a doctor or studying to be a doctor or something. And I had written an email to everyone letting them know that there was going to be um, a film crew there on Saturday. Um, so there will be noise. Blah, 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 blah. It was at the end of a particular email that had other announcements. So she writes me, she was just like, you never told me this. You never sent out any emails. Like it's on the bottom of the email that you just wrote me replying to. <laughs> I was just like, she was just like, oh, um, from now on, I'll read all your emails to the end. Like from now on. So you weren't doing that before. So anytime <laughs> you not. missed out on essential information before. Gotcha. Yep. <laughs> that figures. 
but that's just how people are so sometimes you got to kind of like bite the the grain and do it that way but it is um (laughs) kind of folding back into the topic of therapy um Mm -hmm. what would you guys say is the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself through therapy uh i guess i can start um i learned that emotional vulnerability won't break you. In fact, it will help you be stronger overall, which is seems very hippy dippy and something that I feel like is very obvious to most people who are in touch with their emotions. But somebody like me who prides themselves on being the strongest, quote unquote, of their friend group, um, I it took me a while to realize that it's okay that I talk about all the bad stuff going on and that I cry every now and again because it makes it easier when I'm feeling good because then I don't have this other baggage holding me down. You know, and also that uh, whatever you feel like that you are absolutely singular in, like there couldn't possibly be anyone who has felt this, uh, you're probably wrong and there's probably 10 people in the room you're standing in who feel the exact same way. So, you know, don't assume that you're always the only one because there's a million people out there who have had the exact same thought as you probably similar situations, which is really comforting, actually, in a weird way. Yep. What about you, G? Uh, what I learned in therapy, um, I think the most important thing I've learned is not to have expectations for anyone other than myself. And with that, you just save a lot of, just a lot of heartache, a lot of frustration, just everything. Everything is just so much better when the only expectation you put is on yourself and I think that's yeah that's my main takeaway it's pretty simple but it's been very it's had a a pretty huge impact in my life right I can agree with that um following up on that and say like I definitely still struggle with expectations and I'm trying to teach myself not to have any on people but um it's It's hard (laughs) it's harder than it seems but like once you get to the point of just not you almost have to expect to be disappointed. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and once you expect mm-hmm. that disappointment, you no longer have any expectations. Right, right, right. So, you know, God is working on me. He is still not done. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a day-to-day <laughs> process. It really is. Cause I, I still struggle with it at times. You know, like, with it, let's say you have, like, a, a family situation. It's the people that you or let's say like you just feel like you need someone and and those people aren't there for you it's like you expect those people to be there for you because they're family but they just maybe they don't know how to how to be there for you and it's you're putting an expectation on them that they can't fulfill and then you're the one that ends up with like the heartache ultimately right 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 yeah um do you mind if i add one more thing to my thing because when you guys start talking i realized something too kind of made me have a little breakthrough as well you're no room I uh, I kind of, uh, so a lot of my friends who are, re- are hesitant to therapy are weirdly hesitant for the reason that they haven't found a lot of people in their family they can talk to, so they don't think a therapist would be any better, which is a weird way of going about it in my mind. Um, obviously, uh, not everyone has that opinion because a lot of people do go to therapy, but um, one weird thing I've run into is that because I had so much family support, which again, I'm so lucky that almost my family is very mental health, like positive about getting help and blah, blah, blah. 
I actually think that caused me to resist therapy at first because I felt like, well, I can talk to both of my grandmothers about this all the time and I can talk to my mother about this and all of my friends are totally chill with the fact that like I'm talking about my father's suicide because like obviously that's something I'm going through and blah, blah, blah. And I felt like because I was getting so many chances to have that out with that, like people about it, like, hey, how did this happen? How could it happen? Blah, blah, blah. I got into this spiral of where we were all just basically talking about our own opinions about the situation and none of us were working through it because it was just, we were all too close to the situation, which was interesting because I know for a lot of people, not having that family support is what, you know, is a big hindrance. But then for me, I felt like, well, because I'm so lucky, why do I need therapy? I have five therapists in my family right now, including my aunt, who is actually a licensed therapist, but therapists can't treat family because obviously that's not going to, that's not professional and that's not allowed because, you know, that's too biased. They can't be in an unbiased third party, which is what a therapist is. So I would also like, I guess, say what I learned from therapy is the fact that like, just because you have that family support isn't a like crux, that isn't a crutch for actual licensed people who have no like bias towards you or your life like their only goal is to help you work through your own stuff in whatever way that means versus your family who are trying to help you the best way they can but if they're all broken in their own ways too it's like the blind leading the blind here so i guess that's also a little tip i got for people (laughs) um i would say for me um uh where was i going with this i feel like i'm so scatterbrained right now anyway um, it's a pandemic. <laughs> I know. Um, I would say I've I've learned to speak up for myself in a way that is assertive. And um, because prior prior to therapy, I I always thought that um, either you don't assume that someone's intention is to harm you, or and you let it go or you say nothing even if it bothers you that was my approach to things but now it's just like if i if i feel a way about something i'm going to ask you about it and i don't i feel like sometimes when i do that to people they one get kind of like taken aback like what like you're you're asking this of me but I never go in with an ex- expectation, you see what I did there, G, of their answer. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to get sort of to, it's to help me get to a resolution. So for example, if I ask you like, you know, for example, me and my manager, who's a person of color, um, she's Asian, um, Indian to be in particular, like um, one time she said something and I didn't like it. So I just asked her about it. And she was just like, wow, I didn't know that you felt that way. Um, but, you know, whatever. And I told her, you know, ultimately, if you, um, you could just let me know if you ever feel a certain way about anything I say or X, Y, Z. And that was the end of it. And it was kind of like, okay, well, I don't go into it thinking, well, the person, this is going to be the answer and blah, 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 blah. It's sort of like, well, whatever they say, it's, I'm going to take it that for what it is. And of course, if I find out other otherwise and I found out otherwise but um it's ultimately to make to get me to a resolution and feel more comfortable at the end um and even through that and me doing that to her she was kind of like you've kind of taught me that that's sort of like um uh, a more healthy approach to go through things and I was about to say like girl you don't even know two years ago <laughs> not doing all of this <laughs> like I was not talking <laughs> to nobody about nothing but 
Um, I think that's, in, great. that's what I've learned and that's sort of what I've been doing. Um, but yeah. That's awesome. Um, I'm glad you're feeling that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what are some, to end it off, I kind of want to ask what are some self-coping mechanisms, what are some <laughs> self-coping mechanisms that you guys would like to share um, with people outside of like seeing your therapist or anything like that? Uh, I'm just going to go and say legalize it. And that's all I got to say. What'd you say, G? Legalize <laughs> it. What does that mean? Legalize Google. weed. Amen. Oh. Google it. <laughs> Legalize it. Amen. My mom's going, my mom lives out in California and I'm very excited for a number of reasons. <laughs> um, um, I, no, agree. I get that. I agree. <laughs> I don't know why I was expecting something else. I don't know what I <laughs> These well thought out answers. That was, that, like was that was profound. <laughs> no, that I was, was put it on a t-shirt. I was genuinely not even thinking that. I'm so slow. <laughs> anyway, um. uh, that's fine. Um, okay, well, I will follow. Though I believe uh, equally that they should legalize it because it is. As somebody, here's the thing. I have a lot of weird hangups around devices. Uh, which weed can obviously be used as a vice, just like alcohol was for my father. So it's weird that I think now I'm a lot more positive about weed than I am about alcohol. So like I judge people more for having four drinks all in within the span of 10 minutes than I would somebody blazing an entire joint in front of me. So it's kind of interesting because of my own background with alcohol that I've actually become somebody who doesn't drink anymore because I started seeing myself becoming a little bit dependent on it and I didn't want to follow in my father's footsteps, I think as a lot of kids of addicts do. Um, but in the similar vein, I have tried to stay away from other like drugs that are supposed to like calm things because I guess I'm a little worried for the same reason, but I've actually noticed a lot better like use of weed when I've just done it in states that have it legalized and it's a lot more controlled and other things and maybe in states that, you know, a little bit more chill about it. But um, I would also say a self-coping mechanism would be, um, I would say, I would say talk about things even when you're uncomfortable because it makes you more comfortable. When I first, uh, when I first got the call about my father, I didn't want to tell anyone about it, but I knew I would have to because it was going to be such a huge part of my life. And I knew that because it just, you know, it, I couldn't not talk about it. It was going to be something that I was going to be dealing with for a long time and forever. So I called up all of my friends on the same day and I told them all over the phone or over text in any way I could reach them because it was important to me that they knew what was going on with me, even if in that moment I didn't necessarily want to be with them physically like or be in their space or talk to them or cry with them. I just needed them to know what was going on with me because in the in the event that I was truly needing their support, I couldn't be needing their support at the same time as telling them what was wrong with me. So for me... A self-coping mechanism is sometimes telling people what's up with me before I necessarily need help with it because then it sets the bar so that if I do need help I'm just it's just already there like I'm already there I'm with them they know what's going on with me because I think that's sometimes important to remember that wh whether or not like you realize it your friends are going through some of your mental health struggles with you if you let them and that's a good thing like because I help my friends with their mental health struggles and I am I feel closer to them for it so it's a 
it's not a it's not being a burden if you make it a thing that like at least they're aware of and you don't just like you said go in with these huge expectations of like oh by the way you didn't know this thing was going on with me but I'm going to tell you in five minutes and then we're going to deal with it it's like I feel like it's it's considerate to give them a heads up give people you love a good chance to figure out what's happening so they can get their bearings too because they're not licensed professionals which is again why I think people should go to therapy but also you know can't talk to your therapist 24 seven and your friends should know what's up with you sometimes. So that's what my thing about it is. Also, um, I don't know, I think get into media where you see your stories reflected. I got much more into stories that dealt with things that I was going through for the simple reason that I wanted to see myself on screen and see how other people were dealing with it. Obviously, Hollywood doesn't always portray it in the healthiest manner, but sometimes there are stories written by people who have actually gone through it and have come out better for it. So I think that was really nice for me to do. And even sometimes getting away from stories that talk about it at all, just watch stuff that's stupid and stuff that you like and stuff that you've been meaning to watch and just forget about it for a little bit. Yeah, so, so I'll follow that and say um, one of my co- coping me- mechanisms, why I can't say that goddamn word, <laughs> is um, watching the Cosby show. So I probably know that. I know like people are like oh my god Bill Cosby but it's Cliff Huxtable in the show so you don't have to worry about me um (laughs) I probably know that show back and forth um but it gives me so much joy to watch like Mm -hmm. um I also watch a lot of YouTube that kind of calms me down and helps me cope with a lot of things um and also aromatherapy so like I, mm-hmm. I like candle, I kind of set the mood for myself or rechange my mood. I take a shower, I um I light a candle while I'm in the shower so that when I come back into my mm-hmm. room it smells like, you know, it smells nice in here. I eat whatever I, I get my favorite food, all of that stuff. Um to to kind of change my mood around things, um and kind of get me out of the dumps. Um, outside of that, I probably just like, you know, lounge around, take a walk. I've done that recently. (laughs) Um, especially now that we can't really go anywhere or get a drink, like we really want to. (laughs) Taking a walk has really helped me like finding the nearest park. For me, it was kind of a, like finding a park is, it wasn't hard, but it's a bit further out than for, than I was used to for going to a park, but um, just mm-hmm. being able to walk around in like open air um, is a yeah. nice thing as well. Um, you know, what's actually interesting that I forgot to mention, because this is kind of separate from the reason I went to therapy, but actually has been a big part of my quote unquote mental health journey, is that um, figuring out that I was vitamin D deficient. And uh, believe it or not, uh, even though a lot of people talk about how they don't get a lot of sun, how, oh, of course, a lot of Americans are vitamin D deficient because we don't spend enough time outside, um, there's actually a really strong possibility that if you are sleeping all the time or you feel depressed, that it's not only just your brain, it's your body telling you something. And and I actually had similar symptoms about sleeping all the time my senior year in college. And I thought that I was depressed before I thought that I had a vitamin deficiency, which, you know, because to be honest, most of my friends talk more about mental health than they talk about getting blood tests about vitamin deficiency, especially in college when everyone's so tired and depressed and different mental health struggles start to accumulate. So, uh, but my mother, fortunately, once again, the hero of the story, um, she has vitamin D deficiency and she's had it since she was her early thirties. And she was like, well, it would be the curse of the family 
for you to start getting it even earlier than I did. So let's go get a blood test. And they did. And uh, I got back to there. And I think the normal is about like 20 or something. And I was 12. Um, so I was uh, like almost half of what I should be at my age and for, you know, me. And they actually held up my blood results. And they're like, how are you awake right now? And I was like, well, I had a nap before I came here. So that could be why. Um, so it was a big, and I'm not even joking, but like mentally I've been better since I've started taking vitamin D pills. It's not a miracle cure by any means, but if you, it's really hard to deal with your mental health when you're tired all the time. And if your body can't take in, and I eat spinach all the time. I'm not even a health nut. I actually enjoy spinach partially because I also figured out I'm iron deficient. So I'm constantly trying to give my body what it wants. And my body's like, nah, let's take some pills with that. So I also have to take three vitamin D pills a day. Otherwise, and I can tell the difference day to day. So it's such a weird thing to think about mentally, but like, you know, at your annual physical, if you are so uh, lucky, oh, you're fine. Um, If you're so lucky, go get a blood test. I think it doesn't cost me anything on my insurance, but I think, um, on my mom's, it was like maybe $25 extra, but like I get blood tests every single year to this day. I'm still deficient. I'm not as bad as I was, but you know, it's something that every day I'm constantly having to remind myself, Hey, take my pills. Yeah. I will say, um, that is a good point. Um, but I think for like, so I've always been vitamin D deficient. And I think that's sort of Mm -hmm. uh, common with people who are black and have like, uh, a lot of melanin in their skin. Um, but I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, black people are vitamin D deficient. So every time I've went to the doctor, the doctor has told me like I'm vitamin D deficient. So um, mm-hmm. he sort of like put me on pills. I've taken them sometimes. But another thing I wanted to add to that is like I've noticed times that like um, where I've kept on track with my vitamins and then fell off completely that I will be like mm-hmm. sort of really tired too. So that is a good point to mention. Yeah. And uh, I mean, my friends who do exercise say it's like a really great outlet for them. I am absolutely against the idea that the thing you should tell people when they're struggling through mental health is that they should just eat better, work out and take the right vitamins. Because I think it's just it's not taking into account all the factors, but I will say that I do notice that I feel better and I'm more able to deal with my mental health. It doesn't cure it. It just gives me better energy to help with it. And that's it. Yeah, so. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, to piggyback off the coping mechanism, like one is legalized, but uh, <laughs> you're, you're talking about working out. Love it. I, I've been doing CrossFit. Um, that's been helping out. Yes. Like I go on runs all the time and um, meditation goes hand in hand with the legalization. And that has been like super impactful. Just meditation, taking a minute just to Amazing. sit there and just be quiet, listen to the birds and the breeze of the palm trees. I'm in Florida right now, so it's amazing. Yeah, I heard um, birds on your end. There's a lot of birds up there. <laughs> yeah, so just that, just listening to these birds in the morning when the sun is rising before everything starts, you know, you take a minute to yourself and meditate. It's like, it's the best thing in the world. So that's a, that's an amazing I love I love that I can hear the birds in the background. That's yeah. like very atmospheric. It's perfect. Yeah, they're here. Um, There's actually a cardinal right now. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, actually, I just got that app Headspace. My work, uh, I guess, partially to make sure we don't all go crazy in the middle of the pandemic, they actually paid for premium uh, Headspace, which is like this very randomly expensive expensive. app. Yes, it is expensive. Yeah, which 
which I got to say, once again, I'm a little bit of a cheap person. I did free therapy. And then also I got a free therapist, uh, what it's called, a free mental health app through my work. So I don't think I would ever spend this kind of money on myself usually. But yeah, no, it was great. And I've started using their sleeping uh, thing. They have like this weird thing that plays like ocean sounds and other things. Mm -hmm. And now I think they've roped me in. If they get rid of this app, I might still have to buy it. <laughs> Oh, like, what you. is it like a hundred dollars a year or something like that yeah it's crazy i was like i would never pay that much and then here i am thinking about ocean sounds <laughs> right something you could do em is also get a noise machine um so i've mm -hmm. gotten it because i live in the bronx and um mm. it's summertime summertime all the latin hits i've been talking about it for weeks <laughs> i know all of them um and sometimes <laughs> at absurd times of night like 2 a.m in the morning like who wants to deal with that I used to live in East Harlem and I absolutely understand. <laughs> so uh, I got a noise machine and this one that I have, if you want me to link it to, it has ocean sounds. Hmm. So maybe I've also been doing their meditation stuff. Like uh, G was talking about medicating. So, but like, yeah, no, totally. I probably would get a, a noise machine, noise machine. Wow. It's catching now. Right. A noise machine. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I had to, that would be great. Um, but I, I also wanted to piggyback on what you guys said about fitness. So, um, I have been not working out this week, um, <laughs> but normally I like to work out before work, um, because it's a great start to your day in general, it puts me in such a good mood. Um, it, I don't know. It's just something they say after you work out, like all the, like you, like your brain releases endorphins. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's it, but it works for me. That's also the tip. So yeah, yeah. I'm always ready to deal with bullshit after I work out. <laughs> yeah, you can do yeah. anything after a workout. I definitely am more out of shape than I was. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything else you guys want to add onto this topic of therapy? Um, mm, go get some. <laughs> go get some therapy honestly yeah. like I like even if you think you don't need it like I thought I was handling everything really great until I realized like hey you're the daughter of an alcoholic who has a divorced parents and whose dad committed suicide what do you have who else needs therapy if not you like so I feel like people just take a look at themselves and go like well you know compared to other people going through it's like dude that's fine for just a little perspective but don't think that means that you're immune from therapy like go get some like even if you don't think you need it it's great. Facts. <laughs> and black men, therapy, therapy, therapy. Yes. Um, I'm trying to get my boyfriend to go to therapy, but he keeps like keeps going back. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make you any less of a man. It doesn't make you, you know, less masculine. It doesn't make you less mm -hmm. of anything. It's just somebody to to listen to you and let you open up to them with no judgment. Right. Yeah. And that, that's exactly what my sentiment is. Yeah. And tell people you're going to therapy. Like it was a really big sense of like uncertainty when I started telling people I was going to therapy because I didn't want people to necessarily ask why I was going to uh, yeah. therapy. But then I realized like, look, if this is going to be part of my life and if I want to be more in touch with my emotions and just be better about my overall health, like I don't care what people think, like whatever makes me happy. Like imagine if you were scared about people at, uh, like seeing you eat an apple. Like this apple helps me get my vitamins. It helps me feel better. Uh, there's nothing evil about it. Why shouldn't I have it? So that's how I feel about people judging therapy. It's like, if it helps you cope, if it makes your life better, that's something to be celebrated, not made shameful. Right, right, right. Absolutely. All right, well, we'll be right back with the ratchet thing of the week.
back with the ratchet thing of the week. So G had told me offline that he wanted to go first. So go ahead, G. All right, yes. My ratchet thing of the week is how the guy was killed in Minneapolis. And yeah, that was wrong and ratchet. So um, I appreciate the invite to the show. And uh, I hope to talk to you all again soon. Emma, it was a pleasure talking to you. Sasha, Thanks. it was a pleasure talking to you Same. as well. And again, appreciate the invite. And uh, yeah, if you, if you ever have anything on this topic again, or you know, want somebody to chime in, you can definitely contact me anytime. Definitely. Yeah, you. Great talking to you too. You as well. Bye, well, ladies. Uh, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Uh, and do you want to go next? I believe um, just to give some context mm-hmm. to, to G's comment, um, mm-hmm. he had to go actually. Um, yeah, of course. G uh, was referring to, I believe, George Floyd, who was uh, mm-hmm. recently um, killed by police um, for, I believe, uh, someone like in a store called the police on him because they thought he had written a bad check, but it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and the whole situation kind of escalated, which is kind of... Um, yeah, I've un- I've unfortunately I've seen the thumbnails of the videos and I've had friends obviously talk to me who are from the community and it's absolutely heartbreaking and infuriating and disgusting. And as G said, ratchet. So <laughs> I absolutely agree with him, although I'm not sure the exact term I would use, but yeah, that's awful. And oh, I mean, now my thing in comparison feels a little like, mm, but you know, I'm still talk about it if you want to. <laughs> no, go ahead. Um, what's your ratchet? Yeah of the weekend um hope this hopefully is a little lighter uh because like obviously but um i'm staying with some friends in yonkers and uh, they're a very lovely married couple such a wonderful people like my best friend her husband they're so cute together and my best friend has this gorgeous apartment in yonkers that i'm very lucky to stay at while i'm uh i have my stuff in storage i'm gonna go stay out with my mom so I'm working on the couch on my little, my little laptop, and she's at her desk uh, near the windows. And um, she has this nice view. It's all great, whatever. And we've been keeping the windows open a little bit because of the nice breeze. And her, she has this little cat. And because the window has a screen, the cat likes to look out and kind of smell the air. It's very adorable. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she's working at her table. And her husband's on the other side of the couch because he's home uh, early from work. We're all just kind of chilling, you know, doing the millennial thing of looking at all our phones or websites or whatever. And at one point, I look over and the window is falling towards her. And I just had this split second of going, is the wall falling? And I couldn't figure out what was happening. My brain couldn't compute. And so what happened was it all happened like slowly and then all at once. (laughs) And then basically the window uh, fell onto her desk and it stopped. It got stopped by her monitor. So the window hit her monitor, like the top of it, and then bounced up. And then she was able to react and she puts her hand up to stop it. And then we just look over and, and she's like, uh, guys. And I, and we like both rush into action and grab the window. So what had happened was the window was up and it basically imagine the bottom part was a hinge or something, which it shouldn't be, but it was, and it had basically the track that the window usually goes off of had eroded away in the front. So it fell inward towards her. And it, this is a big metal window. So like it's heavy. And like had that hit her in the head, we were all convinced she would have e- either had a horrible head injury or a concussion at least. And thankfully her cat wasn't at the window at the time. So nobody else was hurt. But I have pictures of her monitor and it has a crack on the top of it. 
Unfortunately, the monitor was so placed that it basically stopped it from hitting her. And we just all were in complete shock after it happened. And this happened yesterday. And so we were just like, uh, that shouldn't happen. And like Katie's like shaking and I'm just like, what is happening right now? So I would say that's my ratchet thing of the week is that a window tried to kill my friend in her own home, which I would wow. say that was a sentence I never thought I'd say. But uh, so basically we managed to sort of hinge it back onto the track. We push it down so that at least it's not falling towards us anymore. And then we call maintenance because you know, my this window tried to shank her. And then basically, uh, they tell us they're going to bring somebody, somebody comes by, we take a bunch of pictures of everything, because you got to document that stuff, people. And uh, they uh, say that one of the pins uh, was completely bent. And then the other pin that's supposed to keep the window in place was missing, which it had been missing for a while then. And this was just waiting to happen, which is terrifying. So, I mean, I was raised by a woman. It's like, well, when that kind of stuff happens, you hold the company responsible and you go talk to them. So I'm kind of hoping my friends actually get uh, negotiate their rent lower because this happened to them. But we'll see what happens. But yeah, yeah. so uh, watch out for falling windows, guys. Uh, you know, this. Uh, I hope this therapy uh, episode gives you a new paranoid fear. <laughs> Just because, like, I never thought about that before, but now I'm wondering. Has ever. <laughs> Cause I can't even I know. one of my windows like falling apart. I know it was crazy. Cause like we were also talking about, cause we're, we're kind of high up and we are overlooking this little walking path near the water's edge. And so we were thinking like, it's awful that it fell towards her, obviously like much terrifying, but we were also thinking like, what if it fallen out the other way and it hit the, hit the sidewalk or possibly a bystander. Person, yeah. Like, so like we're only like four floors up but this is a heavy window we're surprised it didn't shatter when it hit her monitor because it like bounced like and the monitors cracked like and we're pretty sure it's broken so she's actually using my monitor for the time being because like it's crazy wow 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 Um, so you know crazy stuff happening but you know some of it more crazy than others (laughs) oh god that's so you know just falling windows and whatnot. Very, very appropriate for this day and age. I think the sky is falling and it's falling towards you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, obviously there's a moment where you're just like, well, at least she was okay. But then you have to think to yourself, well, this isn't something I should worry about. Can you imagine like if you had gotten a head injury from a falling window? How do you even explain that to insurance? (laughs) Who covers that? (laughs) Um, It's crazy. But my ratchet thing of the week is um, for an Amy Cooper who um, decided in Mm -hmm. Park, she would, um, after a man asked her, particularly a man of color, black man, asked her to leash Mm -hmm. her dog in a park where she's supposed to have her dog leashed, she decided it would be an appropriate action or reaction to then threaten to call the police and then move forward with uh, making a 911 call um, mm-hmm. to the police um, for him asking or requesting that he she leash her dog. Uh, his, yeah, um, I said that correctly. Um, and a lot of people were saying, like, doesn't she know, like, he would have been arrested and all this other stuff. I think that mm-hmm. Amy Cooper, while knew all of the um intentions behind her actions but Mm -hmm. i think she more so expected it the threat 
to use that as a threat for him to mm-hmm. leave her alone more than she actually intended to go through with the 911 call. Um, that is no excuse for her behavior, but it's just a sad world where people, even even a bigot like Amy Cooper, can understand mm-hmm. that the police can be used as a threat against this. Like, no, it was it was terrible, and I personally agree with you that I think. I mean, I, I'm back and forth. When I watched the video, I personally do think she was trying to weaponize the police against him because the, you can just see her pretending. Like, you can see her using her quote-unquote desperate voice, and she's like, oh my god, I'm being threatened, and blah, 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 and like, right. just basically strangling her dog in the video, like, an absolute right. abuser, which I personally agree that I personally think she is. I saw some follow-up stuff where people were posting about how her dog got injured a lot in the last couple years since she's gotten it and she seems to post about it a lot and I wonder yeah maybe that's not great right no I uh yeah actually there was a lot of validity to that and she ended up giving up no totally yeah Um, no I saw it was crazy and getting fired and I mean she deserves a lot more um Mm -hmm. but I also think that uh Amy Cooper should go out and seek some therapy herself to realize um (laughs) Very much. The repercussions of being a bigot. Um, And why she is one, because she actually, I I heard from someone else that she labeled herself as a liberal. Um, Mm -hmm. So with that being said, um, she needs to seek out some therapy as well. Yeah, I will say from my own perspective, um, I've had many relatives who are Hispanics vote for Trump. And I've had to confront that in my own family of like people who quote unquote, like, think that because they're part of a community, they are immune from criticism of certain things. Like, oh, I can't be a bigot because I'm quote unquote a person of color. And it's like, no, you absolutely can't be. And like, there's colorism in every, there's colorism in every like spectrum of the ethnicities and cultures. And people forget that like, oh, well, you know, uh, Hispanics don't need to be talked to because of course they hate Trump. And I'm like, uh, no, you gotta keep in mind that some Hispanics are still a little racist and they're also sometimes don't care about who talks bad about them. They just want their money because like, that's literally the kind of stuff I've heard in my own family is like, they don't care who they, they just want lower taxes. And that's the stupidest thing, obviously, and very ignorant of the overall situation. Uh, but yeah, similarly were with white liberals. Like just because you quote unquote call yourself a liberal does not mean you are not still racist and you can still be a bigot so I absolutely agree absolutely so you know we'll just pray that you know Amy goes on to therapy um (laughs) maybe I don't know if I'm praying for her but you go ahead (laughs) she feels why she should never use that action again um but yeah anything else you want to add about this um, just that I had a really great time and it was so awesome to hear from both you and G about experiences that like similar to how I was talking about group therapy. I think there's nothing better than hearing about people who have gone through situations like you, but who are completely different perspectives. Like my group therapy had people of different ages, races, religions, ethnicities, and I can't even imagine how much more my worldview and empathy has been expanded by that alone. And I think that's something that is so untalked about in mental health spaces is about similar causes, but different factors that lead up to mental health struggles. And I think that's something we all should be more open to discussing. And I'm really glad we got the chance to do it today. Oh my God, thank you. I'm glad you had a great time and thank you for joining and being open um, to a situation like this and sharing your story because I know it can be... um, 
such an emotional experience. I mean, I was crying and my situation mm-hmm. is not even as dramatic as you were. Well, no, not- no, no. All feelings are valid. All feelings. There's no pain comparison here. That's another thing in therapy. You are just as valid as I am. Fair. See, Emma's teaching me everything I need to know. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for being a part of this. And thank of course. you everyone for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast at Adulting with Wine on Instagram and subscribe on any platform that you listen to podcasts on. And we'll see you next week. Bye.